Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. You must, you must, you must, you must, you must, you must be reading your Bible. I'm totally unafraid of what is to come because of this book. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I do not fear where my feet may tread because there is a word that is a light unto my path. Your word, Jesus, is a rock that my life is built upon. And your word says that even when things rage against that life, it will not fall for its foundation is found in the living Word of God. Jesus says to His disciples when they said, Are you hungry? He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. There's a moldy proverb about two chiefs that met at the south side of the lake. One was coming from the north, one was coming from the south. The chief, being new to the territory, met the chief coming from the south. And he says to him, where do you find food to eat in this territory? And he says, my heart sustains me. I have so much mana. I have so much strength. I have so much inner willpower that I do not need food to sustain me, my mana. That is why the rangers are called the Kaimanawas. That my mana is my kai. When the disciples came to Jesus after being speaking, to the woman at the well, and they said, Jesus, are you not hungry? He said, Kaimanawa, my, my mana, my strength is found my, in my mana, in my connection to my Father. Imagine walking through life. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. It is not to fill up on the trimmings of the world. It's not to get tangled up in, in nuisance ideas on the internet. My will is to preach the gospel. My will is to see souls saved, to see the glorious church rise into the fullness of what it could be, to see sons and daughters walking in the fullness of identity that can be found in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And as the world turns darker, the gospel burns brighter in Jesus' name. And those who trust in the law will never be put to shame. You've got to get it in your spirit, church. God is raising up people. I was talking with a friend the other day and saying he's turning lambs into lions. Time to stop bleating and time to start roaring. Time to stop bleating, start roaring, stop getting tangled up in stupid stuff, 
start roaring, the lion of Judah roars over you. He died as a lamb, but he was raised as a lion. We too die as lambs, but we're raised as lions of the tribe of Judah. Roaring righteousness over people, roaring peace over people, roaring protection over people, roaring salvation over people, roaring faith over our whenua, over Aotearoa, roaring it, declaring it, afraid of nothing. Amen. Amen. Wow, you are in for a treat this morning. I've got five pages of printed notes. So, uh, should we throw them away? No, we're not going <laughs> to. But uh, thank you, band. Just want to acknowledge, um, oh, he's left the room, Brent Simpson, Brent and Dibby Simpson. He is in Little Ones, but he was standing there. This is his grandmother's grand piano and um, that she gifted, um, and it's his late grandmother. She recently passed away, so um, this uh, piano is of special significance to the Simpson family and is also of special significance to us um, as a fuddy, so beautifully played by Laura this morning. So great to have it on stage. But we're into a new series this month, and it's called God, Money, and Me. And I've been really, really looking forward to preaching this message. It's going to go through the course of the month, so, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about it for a few weeks. And I'm excited about the possibilities that, that lay before us as a people, and the possibilities that lay before you as a person as we look into God's perspective um, on finance. It is of very much importance to God, and it should be of very much importance to us. And uh, my understanding is that the act of giving is a, is a reasonably and relatively simple action, and a very biblically clear principle. However, it has managed to turn itself into an incredibly complex subject, and we just need to take it back to the simplicity of what God is asking His people to do. Not establishing unnecessary hoops and problems to make it more difficult than it ought to be. But for a few reasons we have identified that make giving more complex than it needs to be is pretty much husbands and wives won't agree on it. Or you won't even talk about it. So I'm giving you some great conversation to talk about or not to talk about later on. You can either sit in silence or you can be brave and you can talk about it this afternoon. People want to know why the church needs money. That's valid. People think it's Old Testament and therefore irrelevant. Or if you want to throw out some of it, you have to throw out all of it. That leaves you in a tricky spot. People think that we can choose what to give. Time, energy, talents, resource. People are confused what, are confused what the tithe even is. Like, what is, what is that? Like, old English? Um, people don't earn enough to tithe. 
Do I have to tithe off the profit of my business and my investments? These are just some of the complexities that we can draw in to our given journey. So we will answer some, if not all, of these questions over the the coming month. And you may find over the month God speaks to you because what I've found is that God is a clear and confident communicator. And I want you to this month to be a clear and confident listener because God will have something to say to you in regards to financial management. He'll call you into faith and a closer walk with Him, trusting in in Him and not leaning on your own understanding. It will challenge you and encourage you to fully surrender this area of your life to God because God will not take second place. He is the chief of all the mountains. So He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And that's for you to decide and for you to, but if we're saying to Jesus, Lord, because these people came to him and, and he said, Jesus said, why do you say, Lord, Lord, but not do as I say? And I think in this room and I think in my life, there's been moments where I say, Lord, Lord, and he's like, yes, but why are you not doing what I've told you to do? If I'm Lord, do you not? Do what your Lord tells you to do. Even the centurion knew this when he came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, my, um, my servant, this, my fellow man is sick. And Jesus says, I'll come later. He says, no, don't come. Just send the word. I know how the, I know how the chain of authority works. If you speak it, it will be done. And Jesus is like, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. He understood if Jesus Christ is Lord, he just needs to say the word. He doesn't need to visit, doesn't need to bring a care package, doesn't need to pray over the handkerchief. He just needs to speak the word and it is done. This is the Lord Jesus Christ that we serve. So when it comes to our finance, he's either Lord of our finance or he's not. He's either Lord of our marriage or he's not. He's either Lord of our private life or he's not. And and I'd, I'd like to think, well, no, I don't actually like to think at all. There is no gray area. It's, it's darkness into light. And this may prickle you up a little bit, but it's okay. God loves you. And He wants you to live in financial freedom. So uh, giving is not an individual pursuit or a personal conviction. I believe giving is the call to a people. It is the call to a tribe. It is the call to an entire family that through our combined faith and obedience, God's kingdom will be manifest for all. So through our our given overness to Jesus, our surrenderedness to Jesus, the benefit is not exclusive to us. The benefit is for a nation. So it is not... Just about my unique walk with Jesus Christ, it is about our collective journey together towards His kingdom coming on earth, that He is wanting every single member to participate in this act. He wants everyone to worship, He wants everyone to pray, He wants everyone to fellowship and to serve and all these, he wants everyone to give that through our combined obedience, global revival is the overflow. Sounds like the Bible. God has no problem asking us to put him first because he has no doubt in his ability to meet our needs. 
So God has no problem asking from us because he has absolute 100% confidence in his ability to meet any need that may come up in our life. He is not running balances and checks in heaven thinking, oh man, if the whole church gives, I'm going into debt. Like I'm, I'm, you know, no, no, he's like, he's got you. And as you give it over to him, that's when faith is born in your life. So what I've found is more money won't solve the problems our people face. Remember Jesus said, our father in heaven, our, our give, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. He's always calling us together as one. More money doesn't solve the problems our people face. And the government, with all due respect, has proven that. Like, we can keep funding and keep funding and keep funding, but there's still family violence and there's still drug and alcohol abuse and, de- and suicide is still increasing and depression is still increasing and loneliness has never been more rife and abortion has never been more available than ever. And the more, it's not about having more f- money, it's about having people who are more obedient to the voice of God that He may use their life as a vessel of revival here on earth. We're not just trying to store it all up. We're trying to get people's hearts broken open to the gospel that the love of God may flow through us. And he knows if he can get his hand into your pocket, he can most probably get his hand into your heart. What will change the nation is dead people. People who have died to themselves and are living in Christ. People who don't consider their lives their own any longer. It is an attitude of the heart that all we have is from God and we freely and delightfully give back to God what He requires. Our hearts saying yes to God Yes, I will, I will be part of the solution that you have for humanity. This is why this is such an important topic. In fact, money is such an important topic in the Bible that it is the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus told. In addition, every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, around 500 on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. It is not saying one is more important than the other. I think it is just reminding us of the wrestle that we have when it comes to dealing with finance. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. Some would say more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. So the Bible is full of verses about money. This begs to question, why? Because there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle our finances. You, like me, and most of us will spend the majority of our lives earning and handling money. It takes up a very large portion of our lives while we are here on earth. Hence the reason I think the consistent message from cover to cover of the Bible. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is saying really clearly here that it's a state of the heart. Love is a heart motive. Devotion is a heart motive. To serve someone is a heart motive. Service is a choice, slavitude is not. It's a difference. He could have drawn parallels between many, many, many things. You cannot serve God and your wife, or you cannot serve God and your husband, you cannot serve God and your... He's, but Jesus, in his wisdom, said you cannot serve these two. It's all about an issue of the heart. So I've got about 10 minutes. Oh, I've got heaps of time. Great. I've got five. I've got 10. Thank you. I'll take 10. Band, stay where you are. So we're going to look at the three Ps for Ryan Chadwick of God's providence, proclamation, process, and promise. But last week I went on an overnight school trip with Phoenix, Topo Intermediate, 20 students, five adults, and only one spewed up overnight in the cabin. So by all, all accounts, it was a roaring success. Um, but we left from, from Topo and we drove to Turangi, and then we drove from Turangi to Wauru to go to the Army Museum, which then we drove from Wauru to Oakuni to National Park to Whakapapa Ski Field, where we stayed the night. We then drove from Whakapapa Ski Field back to Turangi and back to Topo. So what we did is, in this process, is we circumnavigated the Tongariro National Park. So me being very learned in alpine things, like it's cold, um, and I was wearing shorts, uh, I said to them as we drove down the desert road in the, in the car, and it was a bluebird day, crystal clear, and the, the white snow-capped peaks of the mountain were popping out against the light blue of the clear sky, and as we drove down there, I said, this is... This is you know, Tongarero, Naruahoe, and Ruapehu. These are the, the three mountains that we see from Topo. Oh, they look different. I was like, yeah, it's because we're not in Topo. We're now on the desert road. And, you know, this one without the top is Tongarero. And this one that still looks like a volcano, that's Naruahoe. And that massive big one, that's Ruapehu. And they were quite impressed. And we went through moments where um, they just rose out of the central plateau as almost to touch the heavens. Then other moments we'd be driving through pockets of dense native bush. And you'd just see the snow-capped canopy breaking out of the, the dense green and a stark contrast of green and white. And sometimes we'd rise up on a crest in the road and you'd almost feel like you were, you were eye to eye with the mountains only to drop down and feel like, man, we're just but a stone amongst the, the uh, Rangipo Desert next to these mountains. And the kids were suitably impressed the whole way down. We get to we go to Wairu, we go to Oakuni, a national park, and that side of the mountain, it's all, it's veiled in a hazy mist. The mountain would appear to have vanished. And with the mountain vanishing out of their sight, to the children, it totally vanished altogether. Because a poem coming around another bend in the road and seeing the mountain again, they're like, what mountain is that? And I'm like, that's the same one. <laughs> That is Ruapehu from a different angle. They're like, no way, it's massive. I'm like, 
Yes, it is. It's really large. And we get to National Park and we turn onto the, the road that takes you down to the, you know, between there and Turangi. And we change angle again. And as we do, now you can see all three again. But now they're back to front. And they're confused. I'm like, see, that one, Narahoe, is our, that's our go-to. It, ne- it always looks the same. But there's Ruapeyu and Tongarero looks look totally deformed. And then we drive up and we stay, we stay on this mountain. And, uh, and there's a totally different view altogether. And I say all of that to say this one thing to, to you, your view of the mountain is not the entirety of the mountain. Your revelation of God, as wonderful as it may be, is not God. It is your revelation of Him. It is a glimpse as the clouds have broken, as you've twisted a turn in the road. You have behold part of who God is, but you have not fully seen the breadth, the depth, and the height of who God is. He is ginormous. Just as we went around these mountains and the kids constantly beheld a different view of the same mountain, so is it with our life with God. You have made it... You may have had an incredible encounter with the Father heart of God, and I'm immensely pleased for you, but it is not the fullness of God. You may have been caught up in the Holy Spirit and seen visions and, and prophesied, and I'm pleased for you, but that is not the fullness of God. You may have, have communicated one-on-one with Jesus and felt that, that comfort and that closeness of one who's like a brother. And I'm pleased for you, but that, my friend, is not the entirety of who God is. He is like the great mountains of the central plateau. The same God beheld from many angles. And God who created them also stands and remains the same from generation to generation. And there is none more blind than the person who thinks there is nothing left to see. If you look at it from the bottom, it looks one way, and you look at it from the top, and it looks a different way. And may we always be in the constant pursuit of who God is to see more, to travel a new route, to receive a fresh revelation. So here we go, the three P's of godly prosperity, because I told you I'd do it. Malachi 3 verse 6. If you've been in church for a little while, you'll be very familiar with this, but it starts with a proclamation, I, the Lord, do not change. This should be one of the single most comforting scriptures you'll ever read. God doesn't change. Who's had a parent that's promised you one thing and given you another, or a teacher or uh, an uncle or an auntie. Oh, you know, when you come over, we're going to go to McDonald's, but then they just cook you chicken nuggets in the oven. <laughs> you know. Like, like what is that? Like, I'm going to call fire from heaven, consume you and your worthless chicken nuggets. <laughs> God isn't shifting the goalposts. He's not saying one thing and doing another. He is saying, I am God and I do not change. 
You may experience, experience me differently to another person. You may have different insight to another person, but I, God, I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In fact, the Bible says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. He has set the wheels of eternity in motion, and he doesn't have a reverse gear. Says this, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak, then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? God does not change. So God opens this passage with a proclamation. You can be 100% confident in the unchanging nature of who God is. That if I put it in motion, I will keep it in motion. That if I said I will do it, I will do it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not, will not, cannot overcome it. I, he doesn't change. You should great, take great comfort in this, that when you approach God, you're not going to find him in a bad mood. I remember when my dad got home from work sometimes, there's always a, who are we going to send and who's going to be the sacrificial lamb tonight to read the temperature? True story. He was a busy man and, and there were some nights where it was just a leave dad alone night. You can, you can take it to the bank that I, the Lord, do not change. That whenever you approach Him, whenever you come to Him, it's not question maybe, if, yes, how's God feeling today? You know, has England annoyed Him while New Zealand's been asleep and we're woken up to grumpy dad because the kids overseas kept Him up all night with their bleating and moaning and, you know, pie was too hot and their peas were too whatever. He doesn't change. So when he goes on to talk to us later in this passage about giving to him, it is on the basis of his unchanging nature. So much confidence should surge through the hearts of humanity knowing that God doesn't change. Jesus Christ changed our access to him, didn't change God. Didn't. Anyway, it's enough on the first peak. I, the Lord, do not change. So, you the dis- so why? So that you, the descendants of Israel, are not destroyed. Thank you, Jesus. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from me and my decrees. You have not kept them. But I, the Lord, do not change. Even though you've been naughty, even though you've rebelled, even though you've played up, I stay the course. And he's talking to an ignorant people. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So the prophet Joel was talking about, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to me with your hearts, with your relationship, with your affection, with your devotion. Not just, not just hollow offerings, but I, I want the hearts of my people back. I want a deep connection. I want a deep trust-filled relationship with my people that, that they would know me, that they would understand me, that they would walk with me, that they would know my protection and my providence. How do we return to you? They said, and God replies, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? 
But you ask again, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Now, God did not curse them. They cursed themselves. God doesn't change. They chose to come out from under the covenant, come out from under the protection. They chose to give their lives and their hearts to false gods and to false idols and to sensual living and to all sorts of worldly things. God did not curse them because they had disobeyed Him. They chose to come out from underneath the covering that God had provided for them. So by their actions, by their negligence, they were living. Not the entire nation found themselves in a pickle. And I look around the world right now and it's in a bit of a pickle. I listed off a whole lot of things at the start of my message that aren't getting better. Things, certain things are getting better. But as a call to the church and every person who calls on the name of Jesus Christ to return to Him with their hearts, to give their hearts back to Him. Because you robbed me, He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is the process. How do we return to you, Lord? How do we come back with those of us who have wandered away? How do we return to you? He says, bring the whole tithe in. Not a broken down tithe, not a, a tithe. Oh, sorry, a tithe is a tenth. That's what it means. It's not 15%, it's not nine or eight or it's ten. This is how you return to me. This is what brings your hearts back to me. This is what reconnects us, that there may be food in my house. This is the process. God's proclamation was, I don't change. Return to me. Come back under my covering. Come back under my protection. Come back under my promises. Come back under my care. As a mother hen gathers her chickens unto herself, so the Lord desires to gather his people unto himself, that they would return under the care of Him. Bring it in that there may be food in my house. And then He says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no room, not room enough to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. This is God's promise back to His people. That which once was will not be any longer. The pests that devoured, the fruit that dropped before its time, and the scorn of outside nations looking in, saying, what a shambles. Where is their God? And God's call to each and every one of us as we go through this month is to go on a soul-searching journey with Him that He, you would allow Him to speak into your heart. You would allow Him 
to prophesy into your life. You would allow Him to open your eyes to see that which He has laid before you that you would be confident to step out in faith and obedience with Him. And in doing so, you will find yourself living under the goodness of heaven itself. It's our move. How do we return? That was their reply to God. It is our move. It is your move. It is my move. But together, as we move as one, nations are changed. Communities are changed. May we be those ones who are bold enough and obedient enough to heed the word of the Lord, to not find reasons to sell out, but to find reasons to buy in. Don't reason yourself out of it. Reason yourself into it. Don't convince yourself out of it. Convince yourself into it. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.